Well, if you would, open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians 14. This is our last sermon in the series, Under the Influence. We've been learning what it means to live under the influence of the Spirit. It's not as if we're going to stop living under the influence of the Spirit or learning what that means, but this series, I really believed at the start that this was a very important series for us in the season we're in as a church. That The importance of recognizing God the Spirit God's presence and power at work in our lives here and now and moving forward dependent on him. And um, and so um, let's just pray for a moment here uh, and ask the Lord to really move in our midst. Father, we pray that you you would move by your spirit as your word is proclaimed, as we look to your word today. Help us to look to it with humility, uh, with expectation, with joy and faith and confidence, that, Lord, you are present and at work. You're shaping us as a people, as a community. You've equipped us with your very presence, the helper, the comforter, your spirit. And so we pray that we would move forward with this, just this joy and rest, a confidence, Lord, that you're at work. So move and speak. Would you correct misconceptions, Lord, today? Would you open our eyes and our hearts to all that you have? And would you impart to us faith to move forward, courage and faith to move forward in the gifts that you give by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a spirit-empowered community is marked by the pursuit of love. I'm not talking about a relativistic love, not a sentimentality, but a self-giving love that tirelessly looks to encourage, comfort, and build one another up. And that's why 1 Corinthians 14 instructs followers of Jesus to first pursue love and then to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. This is about living with open hands and open hearts with a readiness to receive all the Spirit has for us for the sake of others. Let me say that again. This is about living with open hands and open hearts, with a readiness to receive all that the Spirit has for us for the sake of others. With that in mind, let's read 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 1. We'll just read the first few verses. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. We'll stop there. Three things this morning I trust will help us walk through um, this text and the surrounding text. Number one, pursue love. Number two, earnestly desire all the Spirit has for you. And number three, strive to build up the church. Strive to build up the church, but also local church, St. Pete. So first, pursue love. Last week, Mark talked taught out of chapter 12, and, and I was so encouraged. 
so encouraged, so envisioned, so built up. I really believe the Spirit uh, used that message in a mighty way here in our community. I don't know about you, but I was just drawn in, and, and the Spirit was really filling me with faith for what he wants to do in and through us, individually and corporately, and the gifts that he has for us to walk in. We learned that the Spirit himself is a gift. Jesus refers to the Spirit as our helper, our advocate, our comforter. And yet, the Spirit comes with gifts, some seemingly ordinary, while others are more spectacular. But all are for the good of his church. All are for the strengthening and encouragement of others. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, to each is given the manifestation. In other words, to each is given the expression or the appearance or demonstration of the Spirit. Why? Why are we given these things? For the common good. And then verse 11, this is done according to his or the Spirit's will, as he determines, in other words. He is the gift giver. He is a gift to us, and he is the gift giver. It's according to his will. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, where it says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. This word gift it's charisma. Its, its root is charis, which means grace. So we could translate it gracious gifts with these free gifts that come from God the Spirit. Or literally, we could translate it a concrete expression of grace. Now, that's what these gifts are. They're good for us. They're meant for our good. So maybe you've come from a charismatic background, And did you catch what that word is rooted in? That word gift or charisma. Maybe you've come from a charismatic background where the spirit is often seen as present only when and if certain manifestations occur. Maybe there's been an overemphasis on certain gifts, certain manifestations of the spirit. Maybe you come from a more cessationist background where you believe spiritual gifts have ceased when the apostles died or when scripture was completed. And there's been an underemphasis on the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. Or maybe you have no idea, and this is all brand new to you. No matter what background you come from, it's important for us to note that chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians are corrective. Paul is not setting out to write a definitive guide on the spiritual gifts. It's not what he's doing here. He's writing to correct the misunderstanding and the misuse of gifts, particular gifts. And he's writing to a particular church in a particular context. This is important for us to understand. So in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27, Paul uses the illustration of one body with many members or parts. And he illustrates the diversity and unity within the body of Christ. And this was important for the Corinthians to hear at this time, where there was a disunity. And it's important for us to hear. One body, many members, many parts. You might not know this about me. Maybe you do, but I played in a band many years ago. We had a band for seven years. I was the lead singer. Um, Played rhythm acoustic. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Several albums or CDs. Uh, Thank goodness it wasn't. uh, This is all before iTunes, so you can't find them anywhere. (laughs) No, they're good. It's good music. Late 90s, early 2000s, that kind of vibe. 
But look, there's nothing like playing with other musicians. I mean, together, producing a sound that you believe in and at a volume that you can feel. There's just nothing like it. It's so special. Uh, but what's important is for each band member to remain humble. You can't just go rogue and play whatever you want. I mean, imagine if, if Chris was up here this morning just going nuts on the bass, just doing like a bass solo, and the mem- in, in the middle of Jesus paid it all. No, no, we'd be like, hey, calm down. Unless it was really good, and then we'd be like, wow, keep going. No. <laughs> you can't just go rogue and play whatever you want. That, that's a bit like what was happening in the city of Corinth with the gifts of the Spirit. It still happens today. The Corinthians were highlighting some gifts over others. Their public gatherings were getting out of line. There was an overemphasis on certain gifts, and it was rooted in pride. All right, so some were beginning to think more highly of themselves because they had particular gifts of the Spirit. And and in essence, Paul is saying, don't flaunt what you have. Don't flaunt what God has given you. Share what you've been given in humility for the good of others, recognize the diversity of the gifts that he gives within your midst, that it's for the common good. Then he asks this rhetorical question at the end of chapter 12, if you notice in verse 29. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Well, the answer is no. Of course, no. But earnestly, desire the higher gifts. And then he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he launches into the priority and the permanence of love. Let's pick up in chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So what's he doing here? He's listing some of the most dramatic examples of personal sacrifice and service. And he's saying, look, without love... The gifts that you have, the actions that you perform, it means nothing. So go ahead. Go ahead and stack it all up. All the impressive spiritual gifts and things that you think are so important. It means nothing if you lack love. He's getting their attention. These are powerful words. They're meant to challenge. They're meant to confront and correct. They're meant to instruct and inspire. And they do that. Let's keep going. He defines love, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Church, we're not talking about a relativistic love. This is not a define love however you would like type love. That's not what this is. This is, this is one of the most familiar passages in the New Testament. And I don't know about 
you, but as you read this, it can feel a bit out of place. We're looking for the bride and groom, aren't we? Where's the bride and groom? This is supposed to be a wedding passage. What is, what is the Apostle Paul doing here? He's holding high the character of Jesus, the one who is love. He's, he's recentering the Corinthians on what matters most. This is a poetic declaration of what matters most, and it is strategically placed. It's meant to recenter the church of Corinth. And I'm praying that it recenters us. Look what he says, in, beginning in verse 8 love never ends. He speaks of the permanence of love. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. He's speaking of the permanence of love. He speaks of the perfect in verse 10, when the perfect comes. What's he speaking of here? I believe he's speaking of Jesus. We live between two arrivals. We do. Between the arrival of Jesus who lived and died and rose again and ascended on high And we live between that first arrival and the second arrival, his return. He will arrive yet again and restore all things, make all things new and reign forever. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Mirrors in in, in Paul's day were, were different than ours. They were a dim reflection. Then face to face. Now we know in part, then when Jesus returns, we will fully know. You see, we live between two arrivals, but we also live, we could say it this way, uh, in between times. We wait with eager expectation and anticipation for the return of Christ, but as we live, we're to live a life of love. That's our call. That's our privilege, a life under the influence of God the Spirit, who produces in us the self-giving, sacrificial love of Jesus. Now, no matter how difficult circumstances are in front of us, no matter how hard to grasp it is, this sacrificial love we're called to live in, no matter how unbelievable it can feel at times, this is what we're called to. It's beautiful. It's a privilege, but it won't be easy. It will be painful at times because true love like this requires sacrifice on our part. You see, we live in an individualistic culture, Self-promotion, it's the air we breathe. Looking out for ourselves, promoting ourselves. We're, we're caught in it. We're swimming in it. And so this is going to push against that kind of lifestyle. It's calling us into something better. And, and then he gets to it in, in chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. Well, what's he saying here? Run after it. And not casually or half-heartedly, make it a full-on, all-out pursuit. Make it your priority. Make it the focus of your life. What if we did that as a church? That we would pursue love that way? 
that we would make it our focus, that, that we would truly believe that true spirituality prioritizes love over all things. It's an others first mentality. Pursue love. That's number one. Number two, earnestly desire all the spirit has for you. Now we're drawn to mystery and there's something in us that's attracted to the unknown. And so we watch documentaries, we listen to podcasts, we read books, looking for clues, looking for answers, looking for clarity. You ever watch Unsolved Mysteries, believing that after you watch it, you're going to know the answer to that mystery? It never happens. Believing you're going to somehow walk away with it solved. We sit with our our bowl of cereal and we watch for 45 minutes this documentary thinking, yeah, we're going to figure it out. This is great. I'm going to have an answer for all my friends. And then the documentary ends and we're like, yeah, I don't know. No clue. In the same way, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, I believe we're drawn into the gifts that are listed in particular in 1 Corinthians 14, oftentimes because of the mysteries surrounding them. They feel less ordinary, more spectacular, and so we want answers. My hope is that we will walk away with some clarity. We may not have all the answers that we're looking for today, but I hope we move forward with clarity and with faith for all that the Spirit would want to do in our midst. We need to approach this with humility. We need to be mindful that there are various interpretations, mindful um, that there are various traditions and experiences represented in this room. I'm aware of that. Some of you come here with some bad experiences, some of you with really good ones, others with none at all when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. Two gifts are addressed in 1 Corinthians 14. Again, this is corrective. Paul's correcting the church of Corinth. There's an overemphasis in their worship gatherings on the gift of tongues. He's emphasizing, he's talking about tongues and prophecy. Now, the gift called tongues could also be uh, translated languages. And and it's mentioned before in chapter 12. Uh, Mark read it. But the first time we learn about tongues is Acts chapter 2. If you remember, when the Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, the disciples uh, ended up speaking in languages, known languages, uh, that they hadn't learned before. They didn't take a course in these languages. They were uh, filled with the Spirit, and they were proclaiming the mighty works of God, the gospel of God, um, in in languages and tongues they hadn't learned before. But here, in Paul's instruction to the Corinthians, he expects no one in the church to understand the tongue, whether it's an actual known language or not. It's, an, it's unintelligible. So, so let's look at it together. In chapter 14, verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Look at verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And then jump down to verse 6. Now, brothers, If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? for you will be speaking into the air. 
There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What's our takeaway here? Well, it is controlled. It's not this ecstatic, doesn't just come upon you, uncontrolled gift. It's spoken privately to God. It's prayer or praise. And it's for the building up of the one speaking. If it's spoken publicly, there needs to be interpretation, which is a gift in itself. Otherwise, people will think you are cray-cray. They will not know what's going on. You're out of your mind. Now, the, the world of Corinth, many religions and cults were surrounding the Corinthian church with all kinds of experiences in their gatherings that were ecstatic, these trances. And, and that's, Paul's, Paul's saying that's not what this is. And we were at our picnic last Weekend and standing around, I was talking to Matt and Liz before they had the baby, and um, and Leah Torres, and and she said, "Yeah, when I was in Corinth, I make eating chips." And she goes, "When I was in Corinth," and I'm like, "I'm sorry, I don't hear that every day. Uh, what was Corinth like?" <laughs> so she sent me pictures. Um, it's it's important for us to understand the context. He's bringing correction. He's bringing instruction. Later, he'll talk about tongues as a sign for unbelievers. It's not a good sign. He uses the imagery of Isaiah 28, which is an invasion of foreigners. Imagine if our land was invaded and there were foreigners with foreign tongues, just uh, a foreign language running through our streets and we didn't understand them. It would, it's not a good sign for the unbeliever. It's a sign of judgment. It has a negative effect. They would come into our midst if all we were doing were praying or praising in tongues and they would think, okay, this is weird. Here... Here's what I believe. I believe that it's a private prayer language that Paul is talking about in Corinthians 14. And it's something that I've experienced and it's something that I practice. I find it beneficial. I don't flaunt it. I don't claim to understand it. I had a very powerful experience with the Holy Spirit when I was a teenager where I believed I received this gift. I, um, the pendulum swings for me. I, I was raised in a charismatic environment, uh, encountered reformed theology, um, I encountered the priority of the gospel and expositional preaching, and the pendulum swung the other way, and I, I really didn't practice that gift for some time. And my wife, Val, she just encouraged me, look, if, if the Spirit's gifted you in this way, practice it for your own sake, for building, for your own growth and joy. And she's right. I used to pastor in an environment that believed that it was the primary evidence of being filled with the Spirit. I never preached it then. I don't preach that now. 
I don't believe that everybody will have that particular gift. It's definitely not the primary evidence of being filled with the Spirit. There isn't a two-tiered Christianity. Every Christian has the Spirit of God when you put your faith in Jesus. But I do believe it's a gift. I have dear friends who believe different than me on this topic. Um, You might believe differently than me, and and that's okay. By this time, if you've been attending local, um, I trust you haven't seen anything here that's out of order or isn't helpful for the building up of everyone. That's our hope and our desire. Look what Paul's writing about. He's basically saying, come on. What's the point of speaking this publicly? Save it for your private time of prayer. Because what happens in public worship needs to be intelligible and clear. It needs to be helpful, and it needs to be in order. So all the gifts have an important role to play, but some have a bigger impact on building up the church, and in particular when we gather in a public setting. And that's where he goes next, into prophecy. Can you go there with me after I just told you I speak in tongues? (laughs) (laughs) Prophecy, on the other hand, is something that Paul encourages every follower of Jesus to desire. Every follower of Jesus. He, He doesn't mean foretelling the future, even though that might happen at times. He also is not only meaning these sudden moments of inspiration as if it it shouldn't be thought through in advance. Here's what he does. He he puts an emphasis in verse 3 of chapter 14 on the strength, encouragement, and comfort that prophecy will bring. I love that. So very often this includes just speaking God's word with clarity and insight. It can also include speaking what you believe the Spirit has put on your heart for someone. And by the way, when you do that, that is not infallible. That is not the same authority as Scripture, and it cannot be contrary to Scripture. And so we need to speak humbly. Again, I was raised in an environment that when a prophecy was given, they would all of a sudden change to the old King James language. Thus saith the Lord... I'm sorry, but you don't talk that way. What's going on? So what if we move forward in humility and saying, hey, look, um, here's what I believe the Lord put on my heart for you today. I I think the Lord wants you to be encouraged this way. It could include bringing God-given wisdom and insight, understanding to a situation. Could include all of those things. I've been on the receiving end of prophecy many times. One, one example of this, and whether or not the, the person knew they were being used this way or not, I mean, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Uh, one example of this is when I was in high school. I was a senior in high school, went to a Bible study one time, gathered in a home, um, and I was with, with Valerie, actually. And we were sitting there, and a man uh, from across the room didn't know me. He spoke a passage. He, he pointed at me, and he spoke a passage over my life. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Okay, I I was thankful. I kind of tucked it away in my heart. Little did I know, I was an art major, okay? Little did I know I was going to go on to pastor. That wasn't even, and little did I know, not that that's only for pastors, but little did I know how much that verse would be like a life raft for me. Like just like a, a, a cup of cold water like on a hot day where I'm just parched. Like, like stand firm, Darren. Let nothing move you. 
Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing this, that your labor is not in vain. Oh, because it feels in vain sometimes, right? But it's not as it's done unto him. That has been a strength to me. I've fallen on it so many times. I've looked to it. I believe it was spoken to me prophetically. I've been on the giving end of prophecy, speaking what I believe a person needed to hear. I think it can happen while I preach, but I think it can also happen when I'm meeting with someone over coffee and speak a word at a moment in time that they need to hear. Sometimes I know it's happening. Sometimes I don't. I've been, I've traveled in different parts of the world and I've, um, and in, in some settings, uh, in particular, uh, some churches in South America where I've been ministering, just the Lord just using me in those moments to speak a, a word to, to people in a moment that they needed it. And I was saying things that I didn't know about them, but I believe the Lord gave to me for them. And they just moved them to tears and, 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 and a gratitude, a sense of the Lord's nearness and goodness built them up. The Lord used it. It may look spectacular like that, or it might look like just you, again, just coming alongside of, uh, of a fellow brother or sister in Christ and speaking truth to them. Do you earnestly desire, do you faithfully pursue the gifts of the Spirit? Pursuit means more than acknowledging them or giving them a head nod, right? What would happen when, when we live with this earnest, strong, intense desire to receive what the Spirit has for us and to do this in love? What will happen here? Well, I'll tell you what will happen. We'll be built up. We'll be encouraged. We'll be comforted. I'll, I'll also show you what happened here. Look, happens uh, as well. Look at verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 14. It talks about the secrets of his heart. The unbeliever comes in the non-Christian, the one who isn't following Jesus, and the secrets of his or her heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Conviction falls when, the, when, the, when, when prophecy happens and the truth of God's word is proclaimed and held high and it brings conviction. All of these things and more. Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. We read about the work of the Spirit, personally present with, powerfully working in, daily working through followers of Jesus in the book of Acts. We get excited about that. And then we read passages like this to the church of Corinth. And we think, wow, look what God was doing then. He's still working in our midst today. The Spirit still gives power and abilities to highlight Jesus and strengthen his church. He's still doing this. So what would it look like to live with a readiness to, to build up, to encourage and comfort one another? What would it look like? If that was our posture, if we were pursuing love that way, a desire to prophesy, not speak new revelation, not adding to scripture, no, not, none of that, but empowered by the spirit to, to speak primarily the truth of God's word to one another to come alongside one another with a word of comfort or encouragement that doesn't supersede Scripture, that isn't at all replacing the priority of Scripture in our lives, that in no way goes against Scripture and is tested by Scripture and by the corporate gathering, and yet is spoken out of obedience and, and possibly at a time when the one hearing it needs it most. What will that require? Humility, courage, faith, 
dependence, love. Third, strive to build up the church. Look at verse 12 of chapter 14. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And then in verse 26, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Whatever our understanding, whatever our use of spiritual gifts here moving forward, the emphasis must be on love. It must be on the building up of this church and bringing honor to Jesus. Not the highlighting of what gifts we have or pointing to ourselves or drawing attention to ourselves. And there will be different ways that the Spirit of God manifests himself here in local as we move forward. But, but I, I, want this, I want the Spirit more than anything to, to do this through, through me, to, to build you up, to encourage you, and to comfort you. And what if that was our, our desire, all of us coming together? That was our intention. That was our, our, our prayer. What would God do? Imagine the unity and the love and the, the grace and the, the healing that would come. L- look, again, he says, when you come together. Now, we're not given this strict blueprint for how a gathering here at local church must look like. That's not what we're given. There are differences. Corinth, the church of Corinth, was most likely a house church model. Okay, and that's just one difference. There's, there's, there's other things going on here we're not going to get into. But when we gather, it must be done for the building up of one another in humility for the benefit of those who gather. So what will the pursuit of love and an earnest desire for the gifts of the Spirit produce here at local? Are we willing to step out in areas that we might feel uncomfortable for spirit empowerment, for spirit dependence? So what's the way forward? I believe the way forward is is this. Open hands, open hearts, ready to receive all that the Spirit has for us for the sake of others. If you have any questions about anything that I've shared today, please reach out. These, you know, it would be easier for us to just kind of, let's not talk about the gifts, not these. They're there for a reason. They're there for our good. But can we move forward in humility? If we have differences on... But also, can we move forward with faith? And yes, Lord, whatever you have. Maybe I've misunderstood. Maybe I I don't grasp it fully. This this feels uncomfortable. But whatever you have for the good of this church, I want to walk in it. Now, here as we close this series, I just want to remind us, some imagine the Spirit as an impersonal force something to harness and control. But the Bible describes the Spirit as God's personal presence with us and for us. And followers of Jesus have been given the Spirit, and yet we're told to be filled with the Spirit. This ongoing experience of living under the influence of the Spirit, of sowing to the Spirit, of walking by the Spirit, of following the lead of the Spirit. And the Spirit's desire is always to glorify Jesus and produce the character of Jesus in us. 
And so I pray that this would be a non-negotiable practice of our lives, that we purpose to live wide awake to Jesus by living under the influence of the Spirit through habits of express dependency. I'm excited. What does he have for us? As we move forward with this posture, only good things, beautiful things. Let me pray for us. Well, thank you so much for this series. We, we pray that as we move forward as a church community, we would not ignore the gift of the Spirit, that we instead would recognize your presence, your power at work in us and through us for the good of one another and for the good of the city of St. Pete. Lord, would you help us focus our lives, make it the priority of our life to pursue love, that you would produce the, 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 the love that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13 here in our midst. And as a result, Lord, would you help us then to earnestly desire all that you have for us, the gifts of the Spirit, especially that we might prophesy, that we might speak words of encouragement and comfort, that we might build one another up. Lord, do that in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.